Our sermon text today is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you would be with us today as we try to go back in time and hear these words as those who first heard them did. Help us, Lord, to understand the blessings that have come because of our Lord Jesus. And help us, Lord, to live uh, in the manner that he has called us so that these blessings might be experienced by all. To that end, Lord, we ask that you would illumine our understanding, Lord. Grant us your favor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may please be seated. Well, after two weeks of introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, laying a foundation for what's to follow... Today we finally begin our study of the sermon with a look at the Beatitudes. Beatitudes take their name from the Latin word for blessed or blessed, uh, using the poetic pronunciation, because each successive line pronounces a blessing upon those who demonstrate the various godly characteristics listed. Now, It may not be apparent on the surface, but there's actually a great deal going on in this list of blessings that it would be very easy for us to overlook. Uh, I don't want us to do that, so I want to get started right away today by saying a few words about the structure of the Beatitudes before we talk about the message that they convey. Because a, a big part of the message is found in the structure. Okay. To explain what I mean, you may notice, uh, if you look at the back of your order of worship, I've uh, listed our text in the bulletin today to provide a visual aid to help us understand how the Beatitudes are arranged. If you are not looking at them now, let me suggest you take a look at them for a second, for the first few minutes of the sermon, so I can point out some things about the Beatitudes that uh, 
you might not notice. It's just too easy to read over them without without uh, uh, seeing some things. Okay. First, the Beatitudes are structured as a poem. Nine times Jesus uses the Greek word for blessed to begin each line of his poem. However, notice that the last blessing is separated from the first eight, which all conform to a particular pattern. In other words, the first eight blessings, which run from verses 3 to 10, they're grouped all together. They all follow the same structure. Blessed are X, for they shall receive Y. Okay. Notice also the first and eighth beatitude, verse 3, verse 10, end with the same blessing. The poor in spirit and persecuted are both promised the kingdom of heaven. Notice also the first and eighth blessing are both in the present tense, whereas blessings two through seven are all in the future tense. In those cases, the blessed shall be comforted, shall inherit the earth, etc., But by contrast, the first and eighth beatitude, which bracket the rest, contain blessings already realized. In other words, the pure in heart and persecuted have already received the kingdom of heaven. Which, if you remember, Jesus came on the scene announcing was at hand. And that's why, as we argued before, the kingdom of heaven isn't a place... Where you just go to when you die. Rather, it refers to God's rule coming to earth, which is already happening in the person and work of Jesus. And provides the basis for all these blessings that are now coming to God's people. Okay? In other words, Jesus is going to explain in chapter 13. His kingdom is going to start out very small. It's going to be like a little... Mustard seed that becomes a great tree, like a little leaven that that leavens the whole lump. So that it eventually becomes very substantial. But it's going to start out small. That's why all the middle blessings have a future orientation to them. So in other words, if we put it all together, the kingdom has arrived in Jesus. It's already the possession of of the, the pure in heart and the persecuted. And his followers are citizens of it. But as the kingdom grows over time, they will increasingly become recipients of the many blessings that flow from the kingdom's arrival. Continuing on, something else that's not apparent in English but is in Greek. The first four Beatitudes form one group. The next four form another group. In Greek, this is evident by how the first word in the first four blessings, verses 3 to 6, form an alliteration. Because each word begins with the Greek equivalent of our letter P. To bring out the idea. 
David Garland suggests we translate the first four in this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the plaintive, the powerless, and those who pine for righteousness. Okay? That's the first four. 36 words. Second four, 36 words. Ignoring the Greek, if you look closely, you might also notice that the the Beatitudes are divided into by the way they image the Ten Commandments. What I mean is the first group, the first four, stresses one's demeanor toward God, whereas the second group has more with one's disposition toward others, showing mercy to others, being a peacemaker, etc. Lastly, regarding the structure of the Beatitudes, for reasons we'll, we'll learn about in a few moments, the last beatitude listed in verses 11 and 12, the ninth in the series, the one that stands out from all the rest, is placed in its own special position. Not only is the last blessing almost as long as the first and second groups considered individually, but also the person of the last one differs from all the rest. In other words, the first eight beatitudes are all stated in the third person, the ninth switches to the second person. Hence we go from blessed are so-and-so, for they shall receive this or that, again and again, until finally we come to the ninth one. Blessed are you, for great is your reward in heaven. So I say there's a whole lot going on there, isn't it? It's easy for us to read over As we're going to see, by standing out as it does, that ninth beatitude is, in some respects, it's a continuation of the eighth. Uh, More importantly, though, it's going to provide the key to the whole. More on that in just a few minutes. Okay? So a lot of interesting things there to start with. Go back and look and think about those things. In the meantime, now that we've noted some peculiarities regarding the structure of the Beatitudes, I want to go to the blessings, see what we can learn from them. Perhaps the most, one of the most important things we should say about the Beatitudes is that Jesus does not give them first and foremost to tell people how to live as his followers. That's what we tend to do. We read them and that these are the characteristics I should emulate. While there, there's truth to that, that's not Jesus' primary point. It's certainly implied in the blessings pronounced upon those who live in the ways described. But it's not the primary purpose of the pronounced blessings that come to those who exhibit the qualities set forth in the list. Put it another way, in the first instance, Jesus' words are intended more as an announcement over which the faithful are to rejoice. And the reason, as we argued a moment ago, is because properly understood, the Beatitudes mark the announcement of the coming of God's kingdom to earth 
and of all the subsequent blessings that will follow as a result of its arrival. Okay, when you read the Beatitudes, you don't first stop and well, how do I compare to this? Or how should I live? No, the first response is to rejoice. Think about this. His commentary on Matthew, N.T. Wright provides his own translation of the Beatitudes. Instead of beginning each line with the traditional blessed, he trans each translates each to say wonderful news. Wonderful news for the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Wonderful news for the mourners. You're going to be comforted. And so on. Similarly, David Garland titles his treatment of the Beatitudes as congratulations are in order. Because the Greek word for blessing Jesus uses was often used in the ancient world to congratulate a person when some of good fortune, some form of good fortune had come to him, you just had a baby. Congratulations. You just got the job promotion. Congratulations. We could, in other words, we could begin each line by saying something like, Congratulations to the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let me encourage you when you read the Beatitudes next time. That you you consider reading them that way to help bring out the force they were intended to convey to those who first heard them. It wasn't like, here's how I want you to live. It's more like, congratulations. It's time to celebrate. To explain why that's so, we need to understand the Beatitudes make numerous allusions to the Old Testament. And the promises God made regarding what would happen when he establishes a new covenant with his people. To provide just a couple quick examples, the pure in heart, called in in mind Psalm 24, those who are permitted into God's presence. Likewise, the promise of the meek inheriting the world is almost a direct quote of Psalm 3711. In short, the Beatitudes are first and foremost an announcement of good news because they signal the arrival of the age foretold by the prophets. All the Beatitudes are rooted in the Old Testament. And we could, we could, uh, we could spend a long time here noting other allusions to the Old Testament, uh, but collectively as a whole, I think they call to mind our readings earlier from Isaiah chapter 40 and especially 61. To explain what I mean. Isaiah 40 marks a significant shift in the structure of Isaiah's prophecy. Whereas the chapters before all focus upon judgment coming upon Judah because of its sin. Chapter 40 immediately shifts to the future to foretell the blessings that will come to the people after they have learned their lesson and repented. In particular, Isaiah foretells the time when the Lord returns Israel to the land, sends his spirit-anointed messenger to announce the coming of the kingdom, And the establishment of a new and better covenant. 
And therefore, when Jesus gathers a multitude around himself to pronounce these blessings, the people to whom he spoke, what they heard was the days that the prophets had foretold are at last coming true. That's how they received these words to begin with. Okay? This is what the prophets foretold was going to happen someday. Keeping that context in mind, it's important we note Isaiah, what what Isaiah describes are blessings that are coming to the earth in the days of the Messiah. That means the blessing Jesus, the blessings Jesus announces do not refer, as it's often supposed, only to the internal experiences of believers, as if comfort, satisfaction, and mercy refer to the emotional state of the believer. Okay? We tend to spiritualize them that way. But if we understand them right, we'll realize these are real tangible blessings that are to begin to flow to God's people in time and on earth and not simply to be experienced in the hereafter when we get to heaven. The meek are said to inherit the earth, which can hardly happen in a disembodied state in heaven after death. Okay, The world's going to change because Jesus has come. That's the idea. This isn't to say that the Beatitudes lack a personal and emotional component to their blessings. It's merely to say that if we bring the Old Testament context to the promises they convey, we will recognize that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the situation of his people at that point in history. And he's declaring to them, That things on the earth are about to change. A new era for God's people is beginning with the advent of the Messiah and the arrival of his kingdom. That's how we should hear the Beatitudes. Now, of course, it's not all going to happen overnight. We said earlier, Jesus' kingdom is going to start out small. But progressively over time, it's going to bring blessings wherever it advances. We're all here today, 2,000 years later, as proof of it. If only we realize how different the world was before Jesus came, we'd have a much better appreciation for just how much it has already changed. At the same time, must be we must equally have an appreciation for how much yet it's still going to change in the future because of the expansion of Christ's kingdom. That's why we'll see in the next chapter, Jesus teaches his followers to pray that God's kingdom will come and that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that the life of the realm where God is already king will become the life of the world to come. That's why those who are are Jesus' followers are to begin to live in the manner of of those described by the Beatitudes in the here and now. Okay? In other words, the kingdom's here. Present tense. First and eighth blessing, right? But it's going to progressively, we're going to realize all these other blessings wherever the kingdom goes. We in the West have experienced this. 
Now other parts of the globe are experiencing it. To understand what all that entails, let me take a very quick look at the description of the characteristics that leads to blessing. And then we'll look at that final ninth beatitude that provides the key to the rest. Okay? Regarding the first group of four beatitudes, recall these particularly stress one's disposition toward God. In the Old Testament, the poor in spirit often denotes the humble pious who recognize their complete dependence on God. Interestingly, Luke especially brings this out because he doesn't say poor in spirit. He simply says poor. And the reason is by the time we come to Jesus' day, increasingly the poor were synonymous with the pious whose poverty stemmed from their behavior. In other words, the poor are those who are oppressed by the wealthy politicians. So that their spiritual condition is, excuse me, their social condition is the result of their spiritual condition. That's why, though, in the, in the Old Testament, wealth is often considered a blessing of the covenant. In time, the term rich came to refer to the worldly and impious, while the poor referred to the godly and pious. These are people who are oppressed. Similarly, those who are mourn are those who are not duped by the world's charm. They are those who they grieve over tyranny, and thus they yearn for God to make things right and pray for him to do so by bringing justice to the oppressed. That's why those who mourn for justice are often linked with the meek, which refer to the powerless, who similarly welcome the coming of God's kingdom, which promises to overthrow the wicked rulers who ground them into submission with their unjust decrees. That's why the meek look forward to the day when they will inherit the world, when at last the wicked rulers are overthrown. Lastly, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are those who have a gnawing desire to see God's will accomplished in their lives as well as in the lives of others when at last God sets the world at right. They know this is what the kingdom brings. It brings good news to the poor, gladness to those who mourn, satisfaction for the hungry, and justice for the unjustly oppressed. Okay, It all has a, a, a much more... This worldly aspect to them than what we're used to giving them. And a very, very political message as well. Turning quickly to the second group of four Beatitudes, which emphasize especially proper demeanor towards others, we first hear of a blessings upon the merciful. What we must understand is that wonderful news to the merciful isn't merely an inward sentiment. It's rather an inward sentiment that leads to action to spare or help others in need. The merciful are those who have received mercy from God, and so they extend it to others, particularly those who are oppressed. We're going to see later in Matthew's Gospel, one of the besetting sins of the scribes and Pharisees is their refusal to be merciful to others. By contrast, Jesus will give two parables 
that set forth mercy as being a criterion by which one's ultimate fate is decided. Congratulations to the pure in heart is in order because they will see God. Unlike the scribes and Pharisees who only fix attention on the things like the purification of cups while ignoring the filth within themselves, the pure in heart seek to cleanse themselves from evil because they understand that a heart shapes a person's behavior, the source of one's actions. Their reward is to see God and enter into his presence, which is exactly what happens to those who are gathered around Jesus as he spoke these words, though they were at the, at the time unaware. Jesus later explains in the Sermon on the Mount, the peacemakers are those who leave their gift at the altar to seek reconciliation with the one who's been offended. They're the ones who also love their enemies and pray for those who spitely use them. Lastly, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake listed in the eighth beatitude are those who will inherit the kingdom, which as we argued earlier, has arrived in the person and work of Jesus. They are the ones who will become his followers and therefore citizens of his kingdom. Which is going to bring all the blessings listed in the Beatitudes as a whole. Even though they'll, they will be persecuted. To understand this more fully. Remember how I said the first and eighth Beatitudes, which bracket all the rest are both in the present tense and both reward the kingdom. Keeping that in mind, now notice that the ninth and final beatitude of verses 11 and 12, which stands at his own and it's almost as long as the, as the both groups of blessings each, doesn't really pronounce a new blessing. Rather, it simply expands on the blessings of the kingdom that come to those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Which in context refer to all those included in the previous blessings. To explain. Scholars sometimes debate whether there are eight beatitudes or nine. While the word for blessed is listed nine times. The last beatitude that stands out from the rest and switches to from the third person to the second. In many respects, seems to serve as the key to all the rest, which explains its place of prominence as the last blessing. In other words, keeping everything that we've said in mind. We must never forget the people to whom Jesus speaks in this sermon are the destitute, suffering multitudes who come to him for healing at the end of chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 5, you just hear about the disciples. When you get later in the sermon, you find out people are gathered around. Okay? The, the people that Jesus heals of every kind of problem in chapter 4, they are the ones who are persecuted 
for righteousness sake. They are poor because they are victims of oppression by the wicked Jewish leaders Jesus has come to confront. They therefore mourn because they live in a wretched condition of tyranny. And they're destitute because they have been cast out from their families and friends. And by coming to Jesus, they will suffer greater social and economic hardship because they will be persecuted for Jesus' sake. These are the people to whom Jesus announces blessings. Jesus preaches the wonderful news of the coming of God's kingdom and pronounces blessings upon all those who follow him. Because whatever deprivations they may suffer as a result, they will be blessed by receiving the kingdom. And as Jesus says later in chapter 8, The result is many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Meanwhile, the sons of the kingdom, the Jewish leaders that are oppressing the ones Jesus is speaking to, they will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Peter Lightheart sums it all up like this. Jesus comes to announce good news to those who are marginal, outcast, oppressed, mocked, scorned, treated with contempt by the powerful elites of the day. And the good news is that Jesus is going to turn things around so that the poor will receive justice. That's how we need to read the Beatitudes. It's much more this worldly. It's much more an announcement. It's got political dimensions, everything. That's how the original recipients heard these words. Let me say a quick word of application. We'll wrap things up. I've tried to show that the Beatitudes aren't intended in the first instance to be a list of behaviors that we are called to emulate. Rather, they are intended as wonderful news to those who are already living that way. Moreover, they are a call to celebrate the arrival of God's kingdom, telling people it's time to rejoice because things are going to begin to change. That's why the Beatitudes conclude by saying, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you, of whom the world was not worthy, as the author of Hebrews says. As a result, our first response to the Beatitudes should be one of rejoicing. And I want to stress this today because too often we read the Beatitudes with the mindset we have to do better to conform to the behaviors of those who are blessed. So that we fail to grasp the Beatitudes are first and foremost are called to celebrate the good news of the coming of God's kingdom to earth 
and of all the blessings that have come and will continue to flow as a result of its arrival. That should be our first response. Having said that, I hope it's implied that inasmuch as the kingdom is present, but not yet advanced to the point where the prophets foretold when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, we must try to embody the characteristics set forth in the Beatitudes that lead to blessing. And that means we must practice the life of righteousness Jesus describes in the rest of the sermons. It means things like standing up to the politicians, the wealthy elites of our day, who oppress the poor by placing heavy burdens on them and by debasing their currency to to fund their cronies and buy their votes. And it means we use the time and resources he has given us to defend and assist the vulnerable and weak. In conclusion, the prophet Micah summed it all up long ago with these words. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, may we rejoice in the fact Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago and a handful of followers has since turned into an estimated 2 billion people. Lord, Jesus' kingdom has come. Uh, As this world went at least 4,000 years under the curse, it's only been 2,000 years now. Lord, we have been made recipients of the blessings, but there are still so many other places in the world that that people are still uh, oppressed and, and, and mourning and crying out for justice. And even in our day, as the kingdom has digressed in our own land, we we um, experience these characteristics again. Lord, help us to um, to have hope and faith that Christ's kingdom is not finished. Uh, that it will have its course, that he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied, and that he will divide the spoil with the strong. To that end, Lord, let us live in light of these promises and be a faithful people who will extend these blessings to others. Grant us this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord by bringing forth his tithes and our offerings. <clears throat>